Well, good morning, everybody. I, I love it when we take communion because our response in communion is, is again, just reflecting on what God has done, and, and our response to that really is just to praise Him. And, and so just sitting up front here and just hearing all, every lid close, right? And it's just that, like, little applause. Uh, and, and it's so, I, I just, it, it kind of strikes me as, as humorous and yet at the same, same time so fitting. That, that we celebrate God in that way. And so if you're joining us online, I'm sorry that you probably couldn't hear all that little clapping, but it, it's so fun to be a part of that as a church as we worship God together. So this morning, we're, we get to talk about anger, right? We're, we're working our way through this, this series on anger. Pastor Matt kicked it off last week, and, and today we get to, to move into the, the fun topic of bitterness, it's a perfect way to start your Sunday morning, right? Let's talk about bitterness. It's going to be a great day. All right, but before we, we dig into bitterness, I, I think it's, it's important that, that we just recap uh, the, kind of the, the main thought from last week. And, and the thing I want, as we go through all this, this series on anger, we just need to keep reminding ourselves of, and, and it's this, and Pastor Matt shared last week, that anger isn't a sin, Right? We can often feel that way and, and we often portray anger in that way, but, but anger is an emotion that leads us into action and into response. And, and the question is, what are we allowing anger to lead us into? Is it leading us into sin or, or not? Because it is, it's, it's this analogy that, again, Pastor Matt used this last week, so I think it's so helpful to be reminded of it, that, that anger as an emotion is, is like nuclear power. And when harnessed correctly and used correctly, nuclear power can completely power a city and give good, good energy to make everything work. But when used incorrectly, nuclear power can completely destroy and wipe out an entire city. And so what is that emotion doing within you? Because again, we live in a fallen world where anger is a, is a correct response to something. Like we should feel angry. But what do we allow that to do in our lives. So I want you to, to really quick, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. It's kind of a, a, our starting point for today. So verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We're told to get rid of all bitterness, all anger, all rage, all these, all these synonyms, right, of, of what anger is. And instead, we're told to replace them with kindness and compassion. We're to forgive one another just as Christ, as our example, is forgiven. That's, a, that's what the model that's set before us. So we, as we look at this idea of anger and we look at bitterness, we have to put it in that perspective. That this is what we're told to get rid of, that we're not to have a part of us. <coughs> Excuse me. So, as we look at anger and as we start to talk about bitterness, we, we, I want us to take a moment because it's really easy to point fingers at, at anger when we see people erupt and, and mishandle anger in a way that where it just explodes. Right? It's easy to point out rage and how that's inappropriate. My, my kids love to watch Dude Perfect videos, and when they do their stereotype videos, one of the characters, parents, you're laughing because you know this already, one of the characters that comes up in all their stereotype videos is the rage monster. And this guy just blows up and he just starts destroying everything. 
and just throwing things. And my kids laugh, and Emily cringes because she hates to th- see things destroyed needlessly. But, but it's easy when we think about anger to point at those people and be like, that's wrong. Right? When you see people explode in anger or in rage, it's easy to be like, yeah, that's, that's improper. No, don't do that. But what we often overlook is the equally destructive but less obvious way of handling anger, which is by stuffing it. And really, as we talk about bitterness today, that's what we're talking about, is is undealt with anger that we just ignore and we stuff and we hold within us. By not dealing with our anger, without handling it in a healthy way, we can allow anger to grow into bitterness. And so before we get into the Bible and before we start looking at, at what the Bible tells us about how to handle bitterness, what the cure for bitterness, all of that, I, I think we just need to be honest about and, and take an honest look at bitterness. What is it? Why, why is it around? Why is it a thing? And, and I think it's helpful to be able to look at this in this perspective of what is it? What, do we, what are we talking about? Uh, and so as we do that, the first very simple thing that we have to, to clarify for everybody, when we're talking about bitterness day, we're not talking about the flavor, all right? We just got to, because you're like, well, the doctor said bitter things are good for me. They may be, right? I don't know. I still think sweet's better. But we're not talking about flavor. We're talking about our emotions and how we deal with anger. You see, bitterness is a state of mind that willfully holds on to angry feelings, ready to take offense and to break out in anger. Right? It's our response. Because we're just stuffing those things. And really, it's, it's a, a sense of, of wanting justice. And there's been something wrong that's caused me anger, so I'm holding on to those feelings because I want to exact retribution. I want to make things right. I want to hold on to that because I want, I want revenge. Researchers at Johns Hopkins Medical Center found that, that chronic anger or bitterness is, is, causes within us a state of constant fight or flight. Right? So fight or flight is a good thing. When something happens, like we break into that mode, we need to get out of harm's way. Right? That, that, that's a, a good state. It's a good thing that our brains do, get us out of danger or put us in a preparation to, to defend ourselves. Right? But chronic anger or bitterness puts you in a constant fight or flight mode, which results in changes to heart rate, blood pressure, and immune responses. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, and among other conditions. And so when we hang on to anger, researchers are finding that, that it has this negative effect on our physical bodies. You see, bitterness can fester and build up pressure that then ultimately can erupt, but often is the case that it just seeps out into all relationships. And affects our body. It's a poison that we hold within ourselves, thinking that we can use it against others, but in reality is just destroying ourselves. So not only that, as we talk about what bitterness is, but we also, I want us to be honest, because when we think about bitterness in light of what it is, it's easy to say, well, that's wrong, that's bad. People shouldn't be bitter. But in my own case, I've got a million excuses of why. I can hold on to bitterness, right? Like bitterness is bad. We shouldn't do that. But you haven't heard my story yet, right? Bitterness is bad. People should forgive. That's true. But, but let me tell you what happened to me. Here's why my case is different. 
Right? And so, again, as we look at this, I think we need to be really honest with ourselves. And so, really quickly, I, th- I think what we want to look at, there's two things I want us to remind, be reminded of when we talk about bitterness. And the first one is this. Bitterness is repulsive. Right? No matter why you defend it in yourself, bitterness is repulsive. No one wants to be around bitterness. You guys can all, like, as I'm saying that, you're all probably thinking about people. You're like, yeah, I don't like to be around that person because they're just bitter and angry at the world. They're not someone fun to be around. Okay? And again, it's easy to look out and see other people like, oh, yeah, they need to deal with their bitterness. They need to deal with their bitterness. But myself, well, here's why. The same is true for us. In the story of Ruth, we, we think about Naomi, who's Ruth's mother-in-law. And, and Naomi had a very good reason to be angry with life and to be angry at the world. Because of a famine, her family has to move out of their homeland. And while there, her husband dies and both her sons die. And she's left childless and a widow. But she allowed that anger to, to, to fester and become bitterness. And as she heads home, what does she tell her friends? She's like, don't even call me Naomi more. That's not my name. My name's Mara. My name is bitterness. Just call me bitter. And so as we read the story of Ruth, oftentimes I read that story and I think about it like, oh yeah, Ruth, man, what a great, great person. She stuck with her mother-in-law and went home with her. And, and I think Orpah is the other daughter-in-law. And she went back to her home and you're kind of like, oh man, what a lousy daughter-in-law she left. But when, when you think about it, who would want to be around Naomi? A lady who's going around making sure people are like, just call me bitter. That's who I am. I am bitter. And yet, again, it, it brings more light. Not, not to, to say Orpha was bad, but man, what about Ruth? Right? But that's true of all of us. When bitterness is repulsive, we don't want to be around it. Psalm 73, 21 and 22, the psalmist writes, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, Lord. And what about, I love the psalms, and the, the psalms can just be honest like that, right? When, when my spirit was bitter, I was a senseless brute before you. Right? That's, that's what we become as we let bitterness grow up and, and hold it within us. The second thing, not only is bitterness repulsive, but bitterness makes things useless. If you are bitter, you become useless. You are no longer good at what you were designed for. Water that becomes bitter is no longer useful for drinking. It becomes poisonous and toxic. And the same is true of us. Uh, Dr. Charles Raisin, who's a, a professor of psychiatry at Emory University, said this, bitterness is a nasty solvent that erodes every good thing. Right? Bitterness just erodes things within us. It makes us unable to do what we were designed to do. It, it stops us in, a track, in our tracks and, and consumes us. And so as we now want to move into looking at, well, what do we do about bitterness? And really, when we think about bitterness, it, it's simple. You have two options. Two options of what do you do with bitterness. The first one is that you can hold on to it. Again, making all the exceptions of why you're different, why your case is going to be different, and how you're going to be able to handle it. You're going to hold on to that anger. You're going to hold on to those, those emotions. And then you're going to use them when appropriate in, to, to make your life better somehow. Or two, you can surrender it. 
And so really it comes down to this. What is, there's, there's only one cure for bitterness. And the cure for bitterness is not everything being made right in your life and everybody getting what they deserve. Right? The cure for bitterness is surrender. The cure for bitterness is surrender. Now, I, I need to explain it because oftentimes when we hear that word surrender, we, we just think of giving up, right? Well, the cure, the cure for surrender, I, I'm just going to give up. I don't care anymore. That's not what we're talking We're not talking about not caring anymore. Surrender is something completely different. And so when we talk about this, this honest thing, right, that when we hold on to bitterness and we hold on, on to rage and, and injustice, when we, when we cling to those things, we're taking the spot of judge and jury and executioner, right? We're assuming that we're in that position of authority. We're in that position of power where we get to make the decision of what's right and what's wrong and who deserves what. And so when we've been wronged, we want to execute justice on others. And we hold that in ourselves. When we talk about surrender, we're saying we have to come to that point where we realize that is not my job. I am not God. When we hold on to bitterness, we're trying to take the place of God. We're trying to sit in his seat where only he can rule and reign. And we put ourselves in that position. Surrender is recognizing that we're not the judge. Surrender is getting out of God's seat. That's why we look at Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not my job to exact justice and vengeance. Because here's the real honest truth. If I was given that power, I would screw it up. Because I am not perfect. <laughs> I'm not without sin. I am not flawless. That's, as, as we're honest with ourselves, we can get to that point where we're like, man, I'm, I'm just as screwed up as everybody else. I've messed up again and again. I am not worthy of, of sitting in that seat. Because the moment I want to sit there and be like, here, I'm the one who's I'm the one who's called to rain justice down on everybody. There, there's, I could start to name names of people who have a right to say, but what about when you did that to me? What about when you mistreated me? My brothers could make a case against me really easy. Right? Right back at them. <laughs> right? But, but I'm not God. That's not my role. And so we need to get to that point of surrender. That it's not my job to, to do that. So I... Holding on to bitterness is, is claiming that I have a right. So I want to look at, as we look at this, an example of how, how bitterness affects people. Both When we're, we're put with that spot of, of dealing with anger and how it can either form into bitterness or how we can deal with it and surrender, I want to look back at the story of Joseph. Now, if you're doing the, the Bible reading plan with, with, with us, which I, I really hope that you're doing, we're, we're taking this challenge of reading through the Bible this year. Uh, we're coming to the story of Joseph this week. Uh, I think either Wednesday or Thursday we'll get to, to the story of Joseph. And so I'd encourage you, if, if you haven't started reading, man, I, I, jump in. You can either do like a, a power reading and read through eight days worth, or you can just start today on day eight. doesn't matter. But we want to read through God's Word together. We're going we're gonna to read this story. So we're going to, the story of Joseph is long. It'll take us, in the reading plan, it'll take a couple days. So we're just going to kind of highlight over. But I encourage you to read through it yet this week. But we're going to start with Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. So I'd encourage you to pull out your Bibles and open up to Genesis 37. If you're using the chair Bibles, if you don't have them, go ahead and grab one of those Bibles out from in front of you. And I'll give you a hint. It's on page 31. 
If you brought your own Bible, I'm, it's around there. I'm not sure how large a print or what version you got or notes or pictures or whatever. All right, and if you're using the Bible, that's great. You just go Genesis 37, really easy. Okay, we're going to read through this story together, but I, I want you to, to pay attention to how anger affects these characters. And, and this is a story, I, I, I believe many of you are, are familiar with this story, right? We've, we've heard the story of Joseph before and his, his coat. Maybe you just watched the, the Technicolor coat version, right? But let's look at this story. So Genesis chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Now Israel, that's the name of Jacob is given, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. All right, so we start off, Joseph's just one of 12 boys, and dad picks out Joseph and goes, that one's my favorite, and to prove it, I'm giving him the special coat. All right, so just with that little bit of story, right, the other brothers, their response was they were angry, and they hated him. And that seems right and fair, right? If your dad is just like, yeah, this is my favorite kid. And to show it, I'm just going to treat him different and give him better things. Like that, that's injustice, right? That, that's one of those things within us that should cause us anger, right? And so the brothers were right in being angry. It's unfair that dad likes the little guy better just because he liked his mom better, which that's a whole other story about Right, that we'll we'll get to there someday. All right, and then it, it continues on though. Verse eight, his brothers. This is right after Joseph then has this dream. He knows his brothers are mad at him and are not happy that he's the favorite child. And Joseph, in his brilliant ignorance, tells his brothers the story. Hey, I had this dream, and guess what? In the future, you're all going to bow down and worship me. Isn't that awesome? And verse 8, the brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more. All right, so at this point in the story, are the brothers wrong? No, anger is not a sin. Right? Anger is, is part of what's showing us. That things aren't right in this world. The brothers knew that this wasn't right. This wasn't good. It, it's not good that their brother's getting treated better than them. But the brothers took that anger and, and they stuffed it. And they allowed it to fester. And those feelings, those emotions just continued to, to, to grow within them. And it became bitter in them. So now we jump down to verse 17. And the brothers are off tending sheep. And, and dad sends Joseph to go find them. And it says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dream. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Pause there for a second. This is what bitterness did to these guys, right? Injustice. The dad 
favors one son over the others, and, and it's not fair. But now as they've let that, that anger fester and boil and, and become bitterness in them, they're out in the wilderness. They see their brother coming, their little brother. And what's their response? Like, there he is. Let's kill him. Right? Put yourself in the shoes. Like, at what point does that become rational thinking? Right? This gets back to that fact that bitterness is a poison that just erodes and, and corrupts. But good news, they didn't kill him. They come to their senses. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. He's still wearing the robe to prove that he's best. They took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There's no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded down with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Like, so the brothers come to their senses like, oh, no, we definitely shouldn't kill our brother. That would be wrong. We'll just sell him into slavery because then we get something out of it. Right? That's what bitterness did within them. It bro drove them to this point where the injustice they felt, the anger they felt grew into bitterness, and they took it out on their brother. Now think about what they did. They sold their brother into slavery. Then to cover it up, they went home, and they took his robe covered it in blood, lied to their father, and watched him weep bitterly for days on end. And then lived happily ever after. No, they, then they dealt with their life for decades. Bitterness destroyed them. They contemplated murder. And they resorted instead to kidnap and selling their brother as a slave. And lying to their father and watching just the grief pour out on their family. That's what bitterness does. So then the obvious question is like, well, how do we deal with bitterness, right? How do we surrender? How do we deal with it? What's the example of that? As we, as we continue to read on, we see Joseph's response, which is so very different. Because already in the story, we see the injustice done to him by his brothers, right? Joseph would be justified in being angry with his brothers. It wasn't his fault dad picked him as the favorite. Yeah, sure, maybe he rubbed it in a little bit or took advantage of it. But he was just kidnapped and sold into slavery by his brothers. And again, this story goes on for the next eight chapters, so we're not going to hit everything. But I want to hit the, the, I guess, the low points of Joseph's life over the next decades. I'm imagining, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I, I would imagine that the slave traders weren't exactly gentle and kind to Joseph and give him a, a wonderful, comfortable travel town to Egypt. But when arriving in Egypt, he's now sold as a slave in, into Potiphar's household and is forced to work for this guy. And although he works hard and builds up a, a good reputation, he's then now falsely accused of rape and thrown in jail. And again, don't know the details, but I'm assuming jail isn't good. 
while in jail, he ends up meeting a, a cupbearer who's, again, in falsely imprisoned, and when helping him escape, and pro, or not escape, but, but be restored to his position and cleared of charges, the cupbearer promises, like, hey, I'm going to tell people about you, and I'm going to tell people what you did, and then gets back to work and forgets, and is abandoned in jail all the more. Joseph had a right to be angry. Joseph had a right to recognize the injustice that was held against him, but but he didn't allow the anger he felt to lead him into bitterness or to lead him into sin. He didn't become bitter towards his brothers for selling him into slavery. He didn't become bitter at his father for never coming and rescuing him like any good dad would do. He didn't become bitter at the cupbearer for forgetting him or for Potiphar's wife for falsely accusing him or, or anybody else in the story who wronged him. He didn't allow himself to become bitter at them. And most importantly, he didn't allow himself to become bitter at God who, by all accounts, abandoned him. So the question is, how? <laughs> That's a great, great example. Joseph surrendered, but how did he do it? Like, what does that look like? How do I do that? If, if surrender is the answer, how do I do it? And, and once I do it, how do I continue on? Because let me, let me tell you a promise that I can guarantee right now. I don't know whether it will be later today, later this week, or later this year, but you will be hurt. You will be wrongly hurt by somebody. You will, you will experience injustice. We live in a fallen, broken world that is marred by sin. And, and even amongst people who, who are trying to follow Jesus and, and who love one another, we hurt one another. That's a guarantee. So how do we, how do we prevent that from becoming bitterness in our, in our hearts? How do we guard against bitterness? Well, I want to spend uh, our last little bit here and, and really just go over the, the three steps of, of how we do that. And, and, and the, as simple as they are, they're, they're also like everything as we follow Jesus. They're, they're simple and hard all at the same time. So the first step to guarding against bitterness is that we have to trust God. We have to trust that God is God. Romans 8, 28 And through 30, it starts out saying, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. God works all things out for good. Right? And that's, I know in our own fallen world, in our own limited perspective, sometimes that's so hard to see, right? Because we look at that verse like, God's going to work everything out to good, but my life doesn't feel good. Bad things happen. Like, it's not all sunshine and roses over here. Like, God, where's this promise that you're going to work things out for good? And we have to be reminded that, that when it says God works all things out for good, it doesn't necessarily mean good things, but for our good. And look at the story of Joseph. All the horrible things. Those weren't good things that happened to him, and yet God worked them out for good. At the end of Joseph's story, Genesis 50 Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
Joseph was one of the few people who was fortunate enough to be able to see the end game of what God was doing. We don't always get that blessing. We don't always get that, that incredible gift that God gave Joseph. But Joseph was able to see, look what God did. I had to suffer. This was horrible, but look how God used it. He's now put me in a place to preserve my family, to care for them. And aside from that, to save so many lives as, as the world was struck with famine but because of what God did through Joseph and how he used him and brought him to Egypt, that many lives were saved. I don't know where you're at in your life, what life is like, but I, I know that there, there's a, a danger that all of us face of becoming bitter. Maybe bitter against God because things haven't gone well for us. We, we've had to suffer through, through bad relationships. Maybe, maybe horrible things have happened to us. Our, our health, we, we've, we've been dealt an unfair hand, it seems. And it's easy to get mad at God saying, God, where are you? What have you done? Why have you abandoned me? Why are you allowing these things to happen to me? And it's true, we live in a fallen world that's downright cruel. But again, our anger at those things isn't a sin. And we can, we can grieve over those things. We, we see that in, in Hannah, Samuel's mother, she was weeping because she wasn't able to have kids. Bitterly weeping in the temple. Jacob mourned for Joseph when he thought he was dead when the brothers came back. John 11, Jesus wept over Lazarus and he sees his friends hurt and their pain. Mary wept over the tomb. We see countless times again and again where, where, where God's people weep when they see injustice and they see things wrong. David wept with his men when, when the, the Philistines raided their camp and, and kidnapped their wives and children. But in each of those cases, they didn't continue to nurse that. They grieved and they wept, but then they, they got to a point somehow where they said they trusted that God was who he said he was. And that he is going to work things out for our good. Secondly, as we, we recognize that God is God and he's the only one who can be in control. The second step for us is that we have to give grace. Again, this is one of the things that, that Pastor Matt mentioned last week. And we need to be reminded of again that we need to rehearse the way that we have been forgiven. Again, I am not a perfect person. None of you are perfect. We have all fallen short of God's perfect standard. We are sinners who are deserving of death, and yet God has forgiven us, and he has rescued us, and he has given us grace. And in response to that, as I understand the grace, the incredible gift of grace that I have received, I can now give that to others. I can extend that grace to others who have wronged me. And as I do that, it destroys bitterness. Again, that's what Joseph did with his brothers when given the chance. He is now, he's been wronged by his brothers. He has suffered incredibly. He is now in a position where he has all the power, all the authority, all of the right to exact revenge on his brothers. And his response is, I'm not God. Genesis 45, 5, Joseph says, Now don't be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. And he extended grace to them. 
And I think this need, we need to be reminded of this continually. And, and in the coming weeks, we're gonna, as we talk through this anger series, we're going to have a whole, a whole sermon series on forgiveness. But we have to be reminded as we extend grace, as we forgive others, it doesn't mean reconciliation. Those are two separate things. And, and the goal is reconciliation. It begins with forgiveness. But just when we forgive, that's our responsibility is that we forgive as we've been forgiven. And finally, as we forgive, as we extend grace, the final step is that we love others. We are called to love others. When we recognize the truth that we are in need of grace, that God is the judge and I'm not, that we all fall short, it becomes easier to give grace. And we don't just stop there. We can move beyond that to love others and give mercy. You see, God doesn't just not give us what we deserve, but he also gives us what we don't deserve. And he's so gracious to us. And as we understand that, as we understand the example of what Jesus did for us, that even though we were enemies of God, we were rebellious and lost in our sin, he loved us and he chased after us and he rescued us. And he forgives us, but then he calls us and he makes us sons and daughters. Man, as we understand that, as we seek then to be obedient to Jesus and follow Jesus, we, we get to, to imitate that. And even though we experience wrong and injustice, we can love. We get to be an example in loving others. You see, bitterness prevents us from doing what we are called to be. We are called to reflect the glory of God. We were, we were made to be image bearers who are in right relationship with God. And we, we demonstrate to all of creation how great God is. And when we allow bitterness to creep into our lives and take root and take hold of us, we become unable to do that. The thing about Galatians 5, when we talk about the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, when we allow bitterness to be part of us, that's the fruit of the flesh. That, that prevents us from, from living out the fruit of the Spirit to being who we were called to be, living as image bearers of Jesus and reflecting Him. And so I want to just challenge you with this as we leave. That, that How have you let bitterness creep in? What are the things that, that, that have wronged you, that you've held on to that anger, that, that you've tried to sit in God's seat as, as judge? And what are those areas where you need to just trust God to handle things? And what areas do you need to give grace and, and how do you love others? And as we do that, we really can get to that point where we can worship God for who he is. So I want to just encourage you this. That we're going we're gonna to wrap up our service here singing. And, and here's the song that we get to sing. In this song, we get to sing about how great God is and how holy is and how he alone is worthy to sit on the throne. Because that really is our response when we recognize that, man, I, I am guilty of, of, of wrongdoing. I am guilty, and yet God loves me. He has given grace to me, and he calls me to be his own, to follow him. And I want to I spend my life learning to walk after Jesus. I know I'm going to mess up. I know I'm, I'm going to fall short. And yet God forgives me, and he extends grace to me. And I want to imitate that as I interact with the world around me.
And so we're going to pray, but as, as I pray and wrap up our time, I want to invite you to stand. If you're joining us at home, I would invite you, even it may feel weird, but in your living room, in your kitchen, maybe not in your car, wherever you're at, just to stand with us. But let's stand together, and then we're, the band's going to come up as I pray, and we're just going to wrap up our time worshiping God because He's the only one worthy to sit on that throne. And we want to declare him as holy as we follow him. Would you just pray with me? Father God, we worship you. God, we, honor, we recognize in our own where, where we've held on to bitterness, we've held on to anger, and we've allowed that to, to mar us and to, to get in the way, make us useless and unable to do what we were called to do. And so God, we want to, we want to trust you. We want to get out of your way and allow you to be God. Recognize that you alone are holy, you alone are worthy. We want to follow you and surrender to you. And God, we want to we learn to imitate you and to extend grace to others. We want to love others. We want to do everything in our power to bring glory to you. And so Jesus, we worship you today. Amen.